Longest Day is a podcast from a female-founded destination practice that believes that crisis isn't an if, it's a when. We are an organization unafraid of crisis, but have never known one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to the crisis in the first place, there's always something we can learn. I'm Leah, the founder and CEO of Broadstairs Consulting, a problem-solving consultancy offering crisis and governance advisory services to help leaders and organizations thrive and flourish. We operate in the gap between legal and public relations, at the coalface of difficult situations, believing that most crises are avoidable and the impact of inevitable ones usually can be mitigated. Our guests have overcome a litany of crises. Many of our guests have worked with us in some capacity in the past. All of them have stories worth hearing. We trust them to make this worth your while. We hope it helps you trust us. Today's guest is the founder of Mother's Meetings, the world's first and only social media platform connecting remarkable parents with visionary brands. They have a community of over 100,000 parent influencers worldwide who are experts in the fields of beauty and wellness, fashion and lifestyle. Jenny Scott is an all-round inspiring down-to-earth influencer with the aim of rallying mothers from all over the globe to never quit on themselves. In 2014, she launched her book, How to Be a Hip Mama Without Losing Your Cool, and leads regular mothers' meetings, vowing to maintain a non-fluff space for mums. Before founding mothers' meetings, Jenny Scott spent the past 12 years working as an art director and designer for many global high-profile brands, such as fashion designer Gareth Pugh, Nike, and Coca-Cola. But if that wasn't enough, she is also the mastermind behind The Table, a restaurant that recently completed a residency at Soho House in London and has recently relaunched in Broadstairs as of last weekend. She gets to overhear my work conversations every week as I sit in home, a co-working space in Broadstairs which she owns and runs. I've only known Jenny for a few months, but I speak to her most days. I'm grateful for her no-nonsense approach. She's humble, she's savvy, she's smart, and she's kind. And she's here, in her own kitchen, to tell us all about her experience of how so much of what she's achieved was born from her longest day. Jenny, we're so glad you could join us on The Longest Day. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Um, I would love to know how you would describe your longest day. Wow. Wow. Well, I think... The longest day that has been the most impactful for me has been the day that I admitted that I felt really sad and I wasn't happy. And I think admitting those feelings is something that sounds an easy everyday statement, but to actually admit to yourself that, you know what? I'm just not happy, is huge. Um, And that day was, I think, 2011, 2012. And I was living in East Dulwich in my flat, fourth floor of a council block on the top of Lordship Lane. And my son was just one and a half, nearly two, my first child. And I'd been riding the wave of like this new motherhood chapter. And 
I had no idea about this chapter. Like, I had no idea motherhood was going to be hard. I was 28. My career had been in graphic design, branding. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a baby because I'd always, 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 always wanted a baby before I was 30. Like, I'm not one of those people to have, like, a plan for my life or anything. But I just knew that I'd have to have a baby. I wanted a baby before I was 30 and... I didn't ever want a baby after 40. And they've been like my two things in my whole life that I've been really certain about. So anyway, I was 28 in my flat in East Dulwich with my baby. And every day felt like such a struggle. Um, My partner at the time, he'd get up, go to work, you know, as a father, their lives kind of continue, not as a general sweeping statement, but I would say from my experience as a mum, running mother's meetings, this is sort of like 80% of the situation of parenting. Uh, so my partner would get up, get dressed, go to work. He'd come and he'd come back, give the baby a bath, put the baby to bed, then resume normal TV dinner situation. And I'd wake up and it'd be like Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, say goodbye. Then it was like me with the baby and Jeremy Carr. And I was just, one day I woke up and I was just like, what is wrong with me? Everything felt like climbing Everest, you know, whether it was organising myself to get to the library, to go to rhyme time, to try and be with other people in the same situation as me. Like I could not get my head together to be organised enough to be in that place, to be around other people. And I was just, you know, questioning myself, making myself feel guilty, making myself feel like a failure, all these things. And you know what? I broke down and cried and said, do you know what? I'm just not happy. And admitting that I was sad and unhappy was one of the biggest revelations ever. Now, obviously, that is a far cry from the Jenny that is sitting in front of me right now. Um, How did you get from that place? What did you do next? You know what? Admitting to myself that I wasn't happy was like someone taking a massive rucksack off my back because I knew something wasn't right. I forgot to mention my father had not long passed away as well. And I had a bit of a unconventional relationship with him he was a heroin addict alcoholic and yeah so that was a bit of like it wasn't a normal father-daughter death to process so it was kind of all of that on top of you know finding the chapter of motherhood really hard um so as soon as I admitted that I was really sad and really unhappy I was like oh I found the problem this is the problem I need to fix it. Like, I had something to fix then. I had something tangible that I could go, right, I'm sad, I'm lonely, and I need to do something. Like, I'm a fixer. I'm, I've got no patience for, like, hanging around, feeling sorry for myself, which, you know, it's totally fine to feel sorry for yourself. And I guess I do as well. But if I know there's a problem, I, I have to fix it. Like, I've got not a very 
large patient threshold. Uh, so I remember so clearly, and if you've been to a mother's meeting, you'll know this story because I tell it very often. Um, I booked an appointment with the doctors. It was in the morning. I'd been crying all morning because obviously I was unhappy. And for me to go to the doctors to admit that I was really sad was huge, like massive. I felt like failure. I felt all the guilt. I felt, you know, ungrateful for, you know, the tick list of I've got a nice place to live. I've got a partner that loves me. I've got this amazing, healthy son. I've got a roof over my head. I've got all this amazing stuff in my life, but I still feel sad. So obviously you feel ungrateful for that. You feel, you know, there's no reason or rhyme that you can pinpoint why you feel so sad. Uh, so I went to the doctors. My eyes were red from crying. I had a lip, I had lipstick on, bright red, a fur coat because it was winter. And I literally tried to make myself look glamorous and normal, but I looked anything but. I literally looked like I'd been sleeping in the doorway, drinking cider all night. And I remember going into the doctor's office and she was typing. It was a lady and she was typing on her computer going, okay, so how can I help you? And I was like... I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. And I literally burst and go, I'm just really sad. And I just sobbed. And she was like, there was no emotion there. There was nothing. She was just typing, going, okay, would you like tablets? Would you like, you know, would you like some sort of counselling? Da-da-da-da-da. Okay, then, bye, sort of thing. You just need to wait. And as much as there was no emotion there, I just felt so relieved for, like, opening that can of worms. And through that, I was like, you know what? I was really cool before I had a child. People like me don't get depressed. People like me are not lonely. And you know what? Realising that everyone, no matter how they look, no matter how they come across publicly, can be suffering the most, the deepest depression, anxiety ever. So that was, like, huge for me. How did you go from there to creating this forum for all of these other women to share their experiences and, and to be the fullness of, of who they are? Um, basically, I come across like I'm very confident. <laughs> and I have got a confidence in myself, but it's not all... You know, it's, I'm quite good at putting that facade on. Like, if any, if you know me properly, you know that I'm, like, the biggest crier. I'm so emotional. As much as there's, like, the facade, there's the complete opposite to that. And I'm like, if somebody can, you know, not look like me in the way, of, like, present myself in the way that I present myself and come across the way I am but still feel like this... How are all these other women that look confident, that come across confident, how are they all feeling? They can't all just be living their best lives, especially with new new babies and on this new journey of motherhood. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to massively open and be honest with the fact that, you know what, I'm really lonely, really lonely. And, you know, you can be really cool and be lonely. And that's totally fine, especially when you live in a city like London and you haven't got any family around you. So it's quite cool to be lonely. And what's even cooler is to admit that you're lonely. And as soon as I sort of felt comfortable with saying that publicly, like the world just like opened so many doors for me. What did you do next? So basically, using my 
graphic design skills. Everything has to be visual for me. Like for me, reading a book with no pictures, just words, 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 it's just like so hard for me to take in. That's due to me being dyslexic. And as I've recently told you that I've been diagnosed with ADHD, which I don't particularly like saying because I just feel that everyone has been diagnosed with ADHD recently. But for me, it has just clarified so much in my life from being a child. Like for my mum, it's just been amazing for her to find out because everyone's always known that there's something different about me. Just the way I'm, I'm so hard. It's just so hard for me to stay organised. It's so hard for me to stay on time. It's so hard for me to plan. Like all these things, unless there's a visual sort of association with anything I find things tricky. So for me to organise an event or a get-together, even with three people at the park, is hard. I need to design a poster to say, Natalie, Emma, Emily, we're meeting at the park at three o'clock. Like, for me, that's hard for me to process. So I have to design a poster or an invitation to those three people that are my friend and make it legit. So I couldn't make it to the rhyme time because I couldn't get my together so I was like right I'm gonna I don't really want to go to rhyme time anyway why am I making this big thing about going to rhyme time at the library I don't know the words to the nursery rhymes no one talks to each other and it's just really awkward what do I want to do I want to go to Somerset House I want to go to this printmaking exhibition that looks really cool and I would have gone to it with or without a baby so make my own poster for the exhibition at Somerset House for next week arrive 11 o'clock. Like, I basically hijacked the existing poster, put a logo on it myself, and guerrilla marketing without even knowing about it. So I made this basically blog, really sort of basic website called Mother's Meetings to give me a reason to talk to people while I was walking around. Like, I was like, oh, you know, do you want to come to this uh, exhibition? It's on this website, you know, to make it all, like, really legit, a talking point, something for me to just focus on. And do you know what? I didn't really care if anyone came or not. For me, that was just like a massive post-it in my diary, which didn't exist, that I had to be at Somerset House on Wednesday at 11 o'clock because someone else might have seen that poster and they might turn up. So it was basically me being accountable for myself. But people did turn up, didn't they? Mm, well, one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went, I, I washed my hair the night before. I had a plan. I had it in my head that I, where I was going. Jeremy Carl got dissed that morning and I was up and out on the number 12 bus, heading down to Camberwell to Somerset House. And the confidence I had to, and the excitement I had to see the exhibition, whether someone came or not, made no difference and I think that is like a massive learning curve in life generally like if you feel confident and you want to do something whether people like it or not it doesn't matter so I turned up at Somerset House and there was a lady walking around with a buggy and she was like oh were you here for the mother's meeting this is like 11 years ago and her name was Elizabeth and she's been to mother's meeting since and I'm like yeah yeah I'm here for the mother's meeting she's like do you know where it is I was like it's me <laughs> And I basically tricked her into being my friend. Um, and a, 
a friend of mine, Sharma Dean, she turned up. So it was the three of us. We got to see some really good art. And you know what? It's one of the best exhibitions I think I've ever been to. Um, we had a walk along South Bank, the three of us. And I'm like, went home feeling really happy, content. And yeah, it was quite addictive. And knowing now I've got ADHD, the um, addiction to wanting that, that kind of, not instant gratification, but enjoying that sort of making the post of the process of creating that little get together was something I became really not, was it addicted? I don't know, but sort of addicted, I guess. So then I'd be scouring time out for the next exhibition, the next exhibition. And before I knew it, it was like, we were at Saatchi Gallery in um, Sloan Square and there was literally so many women that like we couldn't fit in. And it was just amazing. Uh, and everyone's like, you need to make a business out of this. I'm like, how can I make a business out of something that is me with some mums going to a free exhibition? Anyway, that was the beginning of it. And not only did I do exhibition visits, I started a thing called networking, which was basically meeting in a park. I'd get brands to give me stuff to put into goodie bags to then the women would come, I'd pair them up into colour coded like couples, I'd blow a whistle every 30 minutes and then they'd swap <laughs> partners. And so that was the networking. And then I'd, being a star house member and not using the membership due to becoming a mum and all of that, I'd be like, call star house, what's the biggest table I can book for lunch? They'd be like, oh, you know, 10 people, brilliant. I'd make an design an invitation, you're invited to a VIP lunch. <laughs> you weren't, you were just coming to keep me company. Uh, so it just sort of organically, genuinely from my heart evolved into this community. Down here in Broadstairs, I think many people would describe you as a community entrepreneur. And I know that you run three businesses. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how your experience with Mother's Meeting has enabled you to step into that, that journey with, with confidence um, and maybe even a little bit of fear? It's so funny because I just, it's, it's like I don't think of myself as any of the things that you describe me as, but I guess when you say it, it's kind of true, isn't it? Um, you know what, I think my one skill in life is the fact that I love and I'm so passionate and just obsessed with connecting people. And obviously in school, in university, in college, all those places, that is never seen as a, you know, they'll say, oh, they're a good people person or da 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 Good but, soft skills. Yeah, whereas never, it's never at the forefront of like, you know, you're going to get a distinction for being a good connector. But I've realised as I've got older and the different businesses and scenarios that I've put myself into, connecting people and being able to just listen and be interested in people is my one skill that I'm actually starting to realise is something I'm quite good at and also is something that no matter what business you do, whether you're parenting, 
running a business, running an event of hundreds of people, like that is a skill that translates across everything. And I'm so grateful for loving that thing that I do. We'll be right back after this advert from our sponsor. This episode of The Longest Day is sponsored by Grosvenor Search, a specialist NED recruiter in the asset management space. Board diversity shouldn't be reducible to tokenism. Rather, efforts to diversify boards must be focused on ensuring that the top 5% of talent are identified and once recruited, empowered to strengthen existing boards. Grosvenor Search offers a targeted approach to ensure that your board receives the most impressive diverse talent. For more information, email info at grosvenorsearch.com. Let's get back to today's guest. What advice would you give to somebody who hasn't yet found the thing that they loved, but knows that there's there's something more for them? You know what? This is what this is this is my thing. So like whether it's the restaurant, for me, the restaurant, obviously Joe's an amazing chef. And when you go there, you're gonna have amazing food. But for me, it's all about the atmosphere. It's all about the atmosphere, like walking in there, hearing the buzz. I'll, if Whenever I'm in the restaurant, I'll be like, oh, you know so-and-so, oh, this person will... Like, I'll always find a biting point to connect people and then I'll walk away. And let that, like for me, it's not about me being in the conversation. It's about seeing those people connect and then maybe take that conversation or friendship onto another level or they're, you know, helping one another or... Whatever it is, for me, it's seeing those connections being built. And with my branding and my design work, working for a corporate company, doing a design for, I, I don't know, something something that isn't about people doesn't bring me any joy whatsoever. So I've sort of created a niche for myself in terms of my branding and this is something I'm so passionate about, is sort of connecting people and bringing people out of their selves, giving them confidence and focus and being their best version of themselves through branding and design. And I think once you become a mum, you kind of, that old, that person that you were before working for a corporate life doesn't, doesn't always, and I would say 85, 90% of the time doesn't translate into being a mum and being, a, being able to do the school pickup. So when I meet, like I, I meet hundreds of mums that, you know, they, they've had a child, they go back to work, then they're like, you know what, it doesn't work. I'm stretched. I'm actually dying inside because there's not enough of me to give to everybody. And there needs to be something else that I can do. And they're like, what, what is it? What is it? And I had this situation yesterday. A friend came to me and was like, oh, I just don't know. I'm so lost. And, you know, we sat down for an hour and we completely changed her current business into something that's a new chapter, an interest of hers. And I've managed to like melt those two things together. And she's texted me this morning and say, oh my God, I'm so grateful. So I'm so excited. Like yesterday I felt so lost. And I just think it's about being honest about what sets your soul on fire. Like for me, who would would have thought that connecting people and asking two different people what starts on them, whether it's compatible, could be something that I could take into every job and like every boardroom. And I think 
anything that you're passionate about and that you love, no matter whether it's cleaning, tidying the fridge. Do you know what I mean? Like any of those things can be translated into a business in some format. I love that. One of the things that we are very passionate about at Broadstairs Consulting, which I know you share because you co-run the table restaurant. Founder. There we go. Um, Is food. And we want to know, in an ideal world, what food would fuel your longest day? I am very um, health conscious and I hate hate a meal deal like there is I'd rather starve than have a boiled egg in a plastic pot from that's been sitting in the fridge for god knows how long uh I think it would be a well there's two sides there's two sides I'm extreme with everything and I'm a massive contradiction so it'd be one of the cheese toasties that we sold at the table because they were insane um but then I know that would not be fueling me throughout the day so it would have to be a salmon poke bowl mm. with loads of healthy protein-fueled toppings, rice for a bit of substance, and then I'd have a jar of peanut butter on the side with some sort of fruit to just, you know, put the peanut butter on top of the fruit. Uh, yeah, and that would be it. I love that. I look forward to frequenting the table upon its reopening imminently. And um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to hear your experiences and I'm sure that they will be encouraging and I hope inspirational for many of our listeners. Thank thank you you so much for having me. You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next instalment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023. Production copyright. Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved.